0: I'm here with Hank Klibbenoff, former managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and currently director of the Georgia Civil Rights Cold Cases Project, which investigates the truth behind unsolved racial murders that took place during the Civil Rights era. He's also co-author of The Race Beat, The Press, The Civil Rights Struggle, and The Awakening of a Nation, which won the 2007 Pulitzer Prize for History. Thank you for joining me.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: We're familiar, I think people are familiar with some of the more notorious racial murders of the past, but how many cases are there that are still uninvestigated?
1: Untold numbers, untold. I mean, at one point, the FBI tried to put together a list. In the South, they had 110 cases. I think we very quickly added another 10, this group of journalists I work with across the South that they didn't know about. And now that I'm focused on Georgia only, working with Emory students, they see uh, documents that reveal others we didn't know about. Uh, So the NAACP will investigate a murder and say this is not unlike the case in which police chief so and so killed so and so. And we think, gosh, that's one we didn't even know. So it really is untold. You know, the only debate is whether it's scores and scores or hundreds and hundreds.
0: Why is it, this is, I suppose some, especially some of your students will say, well, this is really ancient history for them. Why is it important that we bring these cases to light?
1: Well, there's so many reasons, I think. Uh, One is that truth always is important. Um, You have scores and scores or hundreds and hundreds of families out there who to this day have no idea what happened to their grandfather, to their daddy, to their uncle, to uh, some family member who just disappeared one day and they don't know there's another reason too. you know we're we're in turmoil in this country from state to state with different laws about different things we can do and can't do the one law that every state in the Union agrees on is that there is no statute of limitation on murder as that no murderer in this country no matter what state he or she lives in should be able to sleep at night without worrying that the next day they could be arrested for a murder they committed, whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 30, 50, 60 years ago. We believe that. So in, in digging out these cases and finding if there's someone out there who can still be prosecuted, we're simply serving the purposes of law and law and order. There's another reason, I mean, I guess some people would say, you know, some of these are old men, they're kind of doddering, they're, You know, they they haven't committed a crime in all these years. They were just mean old Klansmen for a period of time. I I guess I'd have to, you know, mimic the words of my friend of mine, Doug Jones from Birmingham, or like me, a white Alabamian who prosecuted the church bombers, the people who planted the bomb in the church, killed the four little girls. And he said, so are you telling me, and this goes back to when Osama bin Laden was still alive, are you, are you telling me, those of you who say, can't we let bygones be bygones, can't we put this in our past, that 50 years from now, we find him in a cave somewhere, he's still alive, and we bring him out in handcuffs, you know, and shackles and everything, are we going to really say, oh gosh, that poor man, you know that was a long time ago. He hasn't done anything since then. Let's let bygones be bygones. We're not. We wouldn't have done that. Of course, he's dead, as it turns out. But there's um, there's something to be said for bringing justice uh, to a to a conclusion. And I, I should be quick to point out that in the Georgia project, we're dealing with most cases in which perpetrators are dead. This is an exploration of history. And I think the students need to know history and and know the context of why a man would be killed for voting, why a man would be killed in 1958 for driving a new 1958 Chevrolet Impala, why that was so offensive to white people that they would kill him for that. It's it's learning history.
0: What reactions do you hear from your students when they, they dig into this? Oh,
1: they get so caught up in this case, in this in these stories, in these cases, in the class. It's a hard class. We really. It's a lot of writing. We do a lot of writing. We really emphasize writing. We're writing for the website, coldcases.emory.edu. And so they, their big paper is like a 12 page paper. You know, it's not the most massive, but it's, then their final paper is actually a distillation of that for the web, you know. Um, but the, I, you know, my f- feeling is that this is, this, this is the course that the students put their other courses aside for. Uh, that's my impression. Um, they bring a lot of energy. They, the, in the recent case, recent case we taught this past semester when uh, the students really wanted to go down to the scene of where a particular man had been murdered for voting in 1948. And I was saying, well, there's nothing there. The family moved away. They've never found his grave site. They, they said, well, we're going. And so I said, well, can I go with you? I'll pay for the gas. <laughs> and so we went down there together. And I just very quickly will tell you that while we're down there, these students, three students, found a gravesite that the family had not been able to locate for 67 years wow pretty powerful pretty
0: pretty impo- powerful absolutely you spent many years as a reporter and an editor why should we care about having a diverse newsroom
1: because we are in a diverse society why should we care about having diverse lives because life is richer <laughs> because we are innately curious people we are um you know i part of the book the race beat opens up with a, a, a great the greatest most comprehensive examination of race relations in america by Gunnar murdal called an american dilemma and his idea was that there, americans have an american creed and they in this creed they believe in fairness they believe in justice they believe in and all the things that those early, earliest documents in the founding of our country said, which make represent us as very wonderful people, embracing people, accepting their diversity and religion and race and creed and all these things. And, um, and he found that if left to our own devices as human beings, we would be that way, that we get misled, that through whatever political leadership that might lead us astray, demagoguery that might lead us astray, but if left to our own devices. So I sort of adopt that point of view that we as Americans want to embrace each other and we need to sort of shut out the noise of those who try to divide us in order to have that. It just makes life richer. It's the world we're in and we can go live in a cave if we want and I would encourage those who don't want a diverse society to go live in a cave because that way they can avoid the very fact of life as it is today and newsrooms need to Very much reflect that. If you're creating a news product, you can't, you know, unless you specifically say, this is news only of, you know, the one mile radius of this township uh, swim club, if that's your community, then that's who you're covering, you know. But as soon as you broaden it out and say, actually, it's the whole community, it's larger than that, and, and you have to reflect the population of that region that you're covering.
0: How would you, looking at the, at the headlines today, how would you grade the coverage of, there are so many racially charged headlines right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, the shooting of young black men, some of the rhetoric we're hearing from political candidates. How are we doing in covering these issues?
1: Well, I, you know, it's easy to be critical. Uh, and I so love the profession of journalism that I do it reluctantly. I sort of feel like, you know, I don't like to speak ill publicly of the people who are still toiling at the work that I used to do and love so much. Uh, if I were asked how could we take this on in a better way, I'd say it's not about covering the street riots after you know, Ferguson, in the middle of Ferguson. You, you need to do that and you have to do all that. But really, what was the story that we missed there? We miss the story about the daily insults, the daily degradations of life, the daily humiliations of life, for African Americans in that community because of the broken taillight problem, where they get stopped for a broken taillight and they become, you know, just rats in a wheat on a wheel, you know, never really getting resolution in the criminal justice system, constantly showing up to. You know, for something having to do with a speeding ticket, running a red light, running a stop sign, something like that, which has happened to my own children, and I have gone to this, and they just spend endless months and months and months in a process without resolution, being bounced from one courtroom to another. Well, the law, the police officer didn't show up today. Well, the this didn't show up. Well, the prosecutor was it. Well, the this. Well, and after a while, that wears down, and you, and and frankly, you know, I'll be honest, if I had to show up in court next week on a particular date. Even if I were teaching a class, I would find some way that I probably would have to go to court and I could do it. And my dean would understand, my boss in a previous job would understand. A lot of people don't work for people who would understand, who can't be constantly taking off work. And it just becomes a, a, a cycle of, um, of humiliation and, and, and worse than that, I think a cycle that inspires anger and disrespect for the criminal justice system. So we haven't seen reporting on that except after the fact on Ferguson. And so my question is so who's looking at that in their own community now? Just go spend a morning in municipal court, just send a reporter to municipal court, look at your population and look who's in the courtroom and try to figure out why is this, why do we have this disparity?
0: That's the story we need to tell. How can we do a better job of changing, or how do we change the way we're preparing the next generation of reporters and editors so that they are more aware of the diversity issues in this country? Or like, even like the University of Nebraska, what can we do here?
1: Well, you have to be intentional about it. That's probably not saying something particularly brilliant, but you have to be intentional. I say, yes, we have declared that this matters, whether it's part of our strategic plan, our strategic mission, whether it's part of our, even a short-term goal that, you know, here's something we realize we're missing, we need to add. And I'm not speaking to the university here, I, I, you know, but I know that it comes about only if someone is doing it intentionally. And in many cases where I have seen it work, it's where someone is absolutely, or someones are absolutely designated to, with that responsibility of increasing diversity. And they do it without shame. They do it without embarrassment, without timidity. They do it wisely, do it smartly. They figure out how to do it and how to sell it. How to sell it. Um, how, do you, how do you show, the benefits of diversity. And there's so many different ways, you know, and I and I think what happens is over time, we all become sort of in our own little area and defensive and oh, well, if I'm in history, I, you know, I want another Americanist, not a Europeanist, you know, well, I wanted this, well, I want, and we become focused on that and not realizing that we also need someone in there saying whoever it is needs to be a person of color, needs to be a woman, needs to be someone from the LBGT community, whatever the goal is. And, and has to make themselves sometimes a little bit annoying, I think, to make that happen. Um, and But to have, the, knowing that they have the support of the people at the top to do that.
0: All right, Hank Klebanoff, thank you for sharing your information
1: with us and your thoughts. Thank you so much, it's a pleasure to be here.